Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. I'm Unfortunately, Brian, there's only one place to start, and that is the result coming out of O'Connor Park. So, awfully are in real bother now. So, like, I mean, your destiny is no longer in your own hands. So, even if you beat Kerry in Tralee in two weeks, it might not be enough to avoid the Christie Ring Cup. So, it's a complete disaster. This disaster was probably a long time coming, but maybe the reality is starting to even start setting in now. Yeah, certainly, Willie, and... Look, obviously, we're we're hugely disappointed with Saturday. For starters, we thought um, we might get a bounce back. Um, you know, and obviously that was the the thought behind the, the new management coming in. And um, look, for large parts of the game, we we did. We hurled well. We we responded well. I told them time and time again, leading up to the game, that the game would be swinging to and fro, and it could you could win it with the last puck of the game. And we actually had a chance last puck of the game. Um, ironically, but uh, in fairness to, to Antrim, they, they defended well and got a hook on, on one of our forwards. And um, But look, that's that's the nature of Hurland. Hugely high-scoring game. We wouldn't be happy with what we're conceding. That essentially is, is a massive issue. Um, we try leading up to the game to try and shore up our defence. But, um, you know, credit to Antrim. They worked the ball really well through the lines. And um, they picked off some great scores themselves. So, you know, look, overall, very disappointed, but... We have no choice now but to pick it up. We have two weeks um, to try and muster whatever sort of energy or passion or desire that's inside in these these awfully players. For you know to have to really not feel sorry for themselves and you know put their shoulder to the wheel and try and salvage something if we at all can, if possibly can. Look, we need Leash to stay winning. That's that's um, that's a given. Um, we need Leash to beat Westmead. We need Leash to beat Kerry. And then obviously we're hoping beyond hope that we can get results against Kerry. But look, Kerry had a fine result against Westmead up in Mullingar, something uh, we certainly weren't able to do and Westmead hammered us up there. Um, so we're under no illusions that when we're playing Kerry next, um, in two weeks' time that uh, you know we've a really, really tough challenge ahead of us. So it's head-to-head, yourselves and Kerry. If, you're, if, you're, if Kerry were to lose their next game against Leash and then lose their next game against you, they would be on two points. And if you beat them, you would beat them on the head-to-head. Is that right? And then you've got a very it's bad... It's head-to-head, sc- yeah. So it's head-to-head if it's two teams um, level and it's scoring difference if there's three teams or more. So um, then at all, the Westmead might come into this if they don't get a result against Antrim up in the line next Saturday as well. So Westmead could be pulled into this relegation as well. So look, it's all to play for. I think this is the the beauty of, of, of the competition. Um 
there's no team guaranteed in the final. There's no there's no team guaranteed to be relegated just yet. So um, look, it, it shows that all all the teams are really even, and and um, probably apart from ourselves getting a, a decent pacing against Westmead, there's there's been no um, no no real hammerings. Team matches have been you know fairly close. So it shows that there's a know a really good competition here yeah no definitely so Kerry have Kerry have two games left and Westmead have two games left and you have to hope that both of them lose both both games isn't that right or at least one of them lose both lose both games yes exactly yeah right okay yeah. so it is a lot it is a long shot let's be honest like I mean oh I it's a long what, shot yeah, what, it's, it's, what was the dressing room like af- what was the dressing room like after the game like I mean was there almost like the realisation that it, the Christy Ring is a real possibility in there or how are how are the lads reacting yeah, but sure, that's exactly it, Willie. And um, is, look, it, is it like a morgue? Is the dressing room like a morgue after it? I presume. Ah, it yeah, is. no, of course, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Look, I'm, I'm, look, there's there's been plenty of hurlers and footballers in these restrooms down through the years, and and it's not a nice place to be. And look, these guys, in fairness to them, they've put their lives on hold more or less since last October. Like they have been training and and really tried for awfully. It's just unfortunate um, the way it's worked out, series results, and we're in free fall at the moment. It just. If, if if something could go wrong, it just seems to to keep getting worse at all, at all occasions. So you know it's disappointing from for the players first and foremost, and obviously after that, then it's obviously the the, the people of Offaly are obviously disappointed as well. But you know you have to you have to um, have some some element of sympathy for the players, but at the same time there has to be responsibility from the players, and it's only them that can fix it. Yeah. And um, you know if as I said, if we have something to play for in two weeks' time, I think they have to really. Um, you know, give everything that they possibly can and fight for those 75, 76 minutes that the game's run on to now at this stage. And the same in training. And I said that to them after the game. I said, look, uh, whatever's in you now has to come out. And, you know, when we get back training on the field, it won't be a lick your wound session and feeling sorry for yourself. We're going to train as hard as we possibly can for the next two weeks. And, and I'll be brutally honest in saying this as well. I said, if I only have 20 guys that want to do that, that's... I'd have more respect for you if, if you're not involved, if you go back to your clubs, because we need guys that are willing to die for Offaly Hurl now the next day um, and do whatever it takes to try and get over the line against Kerry. Yeah. So what happened? You had, you had an extra man for 45 minutes um, in the game. So how did you use the spare man? Did you use him back in the defence? So like- obviously, yeah, we were, we've shipped a lot of goals and we, we, we played um, Mark Egan um, as a sweeper. And for most of the first half, it worked pretty well. Um, you know, he anything they went along with, he he mopped up. But um, in fairness, Antrim in the second half, um, for the first ten minutes, second half, the the played through the lines. Um, it was tit for tat in that in that first ten minutes. But just as we were beginning to move him up the field, actually, Connor Martin got sent off, so that um, um, forced our hand into into you know we didn't utilize the sweeper well enough in the second half. There's no point saying we did. Um, I, I'd be lying if I said otherwise. So, um, we're well aware of that. Um, but. <clears throat> you know, a lot of it comes back down to, to confidence and, you know, tr- trying to get players to do the right thing consistently. Um, we allowed them too many opportunities for short pokeouts, <clears throat> you know, time and time again. That shouldn't have been happening. Um, the same with, you know, the defenders that were, you know, they should have been closer to their men at times. But look, this, as I said, this comes back to confidence. This comes back to a number of factors and not passing the blame. It's just, as I said, if things start to go wrong, a lot of things just seem to, to keep going that way. Um, but you know we have to we can't be conceding the scores we're conceding um, and that ultimately is one of the major issues um, and that, obviously that was the top process behind where we were playing our spare man when um, you know when we had that extra man yeah yeah okay right listen I'll, I'll move off that there anyways and let the torture the torture end 
Um, Tipperary are hammering everyone. So I didn't see this result coming anyways. I was kind of half wondering, like, all right, there's, you could maybe excuse the Cork result and maybe the Waterford are going terribly. And then to go into Cusick Park and destroy Clare, let's be honest, outside of the first 15 minutes was incredible. We'll talk a bit more tactically about that game in the second half. I want to talk about um, Shamie Callanan and he broke the record, 30 championship goals in 50 games. Like It's absolutely incredible, his record. The defence was ball-watching. He turned around and faced the post, like you're told, when you're like underage. I'm not sure what the defence was doing, but they were probably doing the same thing as him instead of watching, instead of watching him. So it came straight back down to him and it was a goal. So terrible defending, Brilliant goal, brilliant finish, uh, but should we come to expect that from the fellow who scored the most ever goals in the Munster Championship? Yeah, phenomenal. And what I loved about his goal, if you watch back in slow motion, both his feet came off the ground. He drove so much power into it. And he used his feet really well in that he didn't just stand up and strike it. He he just shimmied out to his favourite right-hand side and just left fly as hard as he possibly could and sheer drove it up into the back of the net and... Look, he's a fantastic goal scorer. But I was just looking at the list there, actually. Nicky Rackard has the record of all-time goal scored. He is 59. He's almost double that. Jesus. So Nicky was some yoke back in the day. Oh, so he um, also... him in for Wexford. So Shemi Callanan's only beaten Lars' record. He didn't beat the all-time record, is it? It's the Tipperary record in nearly certain Ah, okay. Of 30 goals. Ah, jeez, he's okay. no so chance of record. record yeah. <laughs> no, no chance of record. No. <laughs> but, uh, there no, no wonder there was a competition named after him. <laughs> yeah, it, Exactly. Um, no, look, in fairness to Shami, he's had his doubters down through the years. Um, but I think Liam Sheedy was the man that moulded him he was. in his first tenure. And, you know, he got probably that, that, that little bit of, I won't say arrogance, but that little bit of um, consistency into the play, as I will say. And, uh, you know, I think he really pushed on after that. And for a couple of years there, I thought he was the best forward in Ireland. Um, very unlucky not to get hurt of the year. His performance is there for tip. Um, when the last All Ireland went on and won it, you know, against Kenny nine points and playing All Ireland, this guy is phenomenal. Like, yeah, and his body language is great, I, isn't it? As captain, like, I mean, he, that's it. Yeah, brilliant. His body, but language. like last year, he, you have to remember he was, he, you know, he was poor by his standards in, in the Munster Championship, but he was also coming back from injury. He missed nearly all the league last year, so it's very hard. So he had a full year this year. You know, Liam Shady set out the stall. He made him captain. You know, he gave him the freeze initially, but in fairness to Liam, he's saying, look, it's, that's not good enough. And he's Jason Ford on him now. So Liam's not afraid to make the hard calls. But the key thing there is what I'm trying to say is that Liam has backed him and he's given him that confidence. And as a forward, that's really important. But he's repaying it in bucket loads because he's work rate. And I think that across the board, the Tipperary forwards work rate is just, it's a joy to behold, actually. Yeah, it's a, oh, they've really raised it up a notch. We'll talk about that in part two. And even Ronan Marge, he hit Cahill Malone, who's a big man himself, and he absolutely opened him up with, with a shoulder. Now, when big men, Tipperary are a big unit, aren't they? Like, I mean, they're big men. And now that they're working so hard, they're, all, they're completely suffocating the opposition with their, with their work rate. But like, I mean, when you have the Mars, these fellas, these are big strong fellas oh yeah oh but by the way what a hit oh my god that was unreal and in fairness to Malone he went down after he was so shook after he was it. and nobody <laughs> likes going down like that in a championship no. match <laughs> no, especially when you're a big man like that yeah but uh, uh first, and Tipperary straight after though they were they were so hungry after the ball as well um yeah and look the one criticism of Tip in the last couple of years was that look they've lots of big men they've lots of lads that are um, obviously well able to hurl 
but they didn't look to be mobile. They seem to have that mobility back into them. They, yeah. they seem to be running really freely. Their hunger or their desire, I suppose, um, is fantastic. And they're just, you know, they're obviously hurling with confidence as well. But every single ball, um, they're after like a light and they're relentless at the moment. They absolutely are. Clear won the toss and opted to go against the wind. Now, I think this is crazy stuff because every Port Leash team I ever played on all my life we always took the wind and a lot of the time the game was over at half time and I just can't comprehend why a team would choose to go in down at half time. I just don't get it. Now, you have to, it has to be said Limerick chose that as well. Declan Hannon won the toss and they went against it. Now, that worked out all right for them but having said that Waterford were absolutely deplorable and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that again what's your take on that like we're talking about a gale force wind and I know that some people will argue that oh it takes a while for the game to settle down but I'd always rather defend the lead than chase one I, I agree with you fully and that would be our mentality as well is go for go for the juggler early and drive at home and get your ascendancy and you know, you, you you'd hope that you'd do that. And you have to back your players as well. Yeah. Um, go for it. Like if you have the followers to do it, why not? And and go early and drive it home, get up as big a score as you can and be relentless. And, and as you said then, I'd I'd, I'd much rather defend your lead. Um, because you can if teams start pushing up and you, you can you can kind of pop them on the counter attack then as well. Yeah, All it takes go, is a, yeah, go a big down score injured. or two. Yeah, go down yeah. injured and, and frustrate there's them. Low, and... Yeah, there's low, we all know the tricks of the game at that stage. Like there's loads of different things you can do, but um, no, I'd, I, I'd be like you. I, I definitely would go for it every single time. Because that was the thing I was tweeting about Limerick. Now, obviously this game was unusual because Waterford just were, were not, not at the races. And I was thinking, especially with Limerick, you're playing Waterford who are very brittle on confidence, who've been beaten in their last two games. And like... Waterford going in at half time eight nine points down they'd give they could give up so I was so surprised that Limerick why they would potentially give Waterford if they were any good they would have bloody made use of the win but we'll talk about that tactically it was just bizarre but I thought even from a tactical point of view with Limerick against a team very low on confidence why on earth would you hand them the advantage to maybe in front of their home fans to maybe start getting some confidence yeah I fully agree with you no I can only assume that they that they were backing themselves defensively and as a unit they were going to do it. But no, I'd be completely on your wavelength. Go for it, as you said. Keep that Walsh Park crowd quiet. Now, eventually they did, obviously, but that's as you said another story, and we'll talk about that later. But um, I, I'd be I'd be totally like you. Go for it, quieting them down. And like Waterford were brittle, but Limerick weren't exactly. You know, they were still in the unknown. They'd made a few changes coming into that game. Yeah. And, you know, the, their performance against Cork was nowhere near the desired, you know, levels of intensity or heart or, you know. So, yeah, I was very surprised as well. I was shocked at that. But look, as we said, it, it was all for nothing in the end. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about this Waterford shambles then altogether. So they lost the second half, one fourteen to three points. Limerick hit 11 without a reply. Like, these are damning uh, statistics. Don Logue said last night in the Sunday game, he says, I think someone needs to go. So he's saying either Fanning needs to go or that some of the players that are not trying um, needs to go. Fanning said after the game, we prepared really well throughout the year and ended up in a league final. Um, it's hard to pinpoint. We have to have a serious look at ourselves. It's a bit raw at the moment. Now, we should never even entertain league form. Now, we don't, thank God, on this podcast, we said this is a, it's farcical. But even their discipline went. Shanahan should have been sent off in the first half. Philip Mahoney was uh, sent off for a strike I've Park, never yeah. se- or Parik Mahoney for a strike I've never seen him do before. Um, like I mean, it doesn't get any worse 
than it did yesterday for Waterford. Like, I mean, lumping in high ball into a two-man full forward line when it was four on two in there. Like, this is brain-dead stuff. Now, I don't know if... If they were the tactics, then, with all due respect to Fanning, well, then he needs to take a serious look at himself. But if they weren't the tactics, what the hell were some of the Waterford players doing? Like, it's just... How do you even make sense of that, Brian? You were down working for RTE at that yeah. one. I was down, and I, I was just shocked. Um, now... They started with Morris full forward and it looked like they were going to set up with a three-man inside. And I said, lovely, furry first poke out goes route one to pick a point off it, off the breaking ball. And you said to yourself, right, they're settling into this now. They're two, four points to one up. And, you know, they were crowding the back line and said, right, this is kind of working. But then after a while, you begin to notice that it was only Morris and, and more or less Tommy Ryan inside. And as you said, constantly hitting high ball in. And... Like, it wasn't even decent high ball that Morris could even get to. Cause no, he still it was chasing it. Yeah. That was about 30, 30 yards in front of him. And, you know, like, Morris, that's not one of his strengths, you know. And I was just, it was bizarre, as you said. Tiger de Borca sitting in the pocket, marking no one. But Limerick were just too experienced. They hand-passed it around. They recycled the ball really, really well. And eventually worked their way around Tiger de Borca as a sweeper when they found good ball inside. And to only score seven points with the wind. Now, I know I did a lot of wides in the first half, but still all their shots were coming from distance. Um, you know, seven points with a gale force wind, playing a sweeper, two-man full forward line. Like, sorry now, but that is ridiculous tactics. It it's is. Just, it, it it's just, it's really disappointing because the game, while while the sweeper is hugely effective in certain ways, and, and um, you know, we're not completely damning the sweeper, it's not the time or place to play a sweeper with the wind. No. With a strong, very strong wind. The wind is your oh. sweeper. You don't need one. Yeah. The wind does do that yeah. job. That's the wind's advantage doing that for you. So yeah. that makes no sense. And then you have Mikey Carney, who I've criticised the centre half forward, dropping, taking the easy option of just dropping into midfield, wanting his free roll, and Declan Hannon just dropping back off him and sweeping as well. So that you, you just had two extra defenders covering the two men, and it was just yeah, like, and what are you doing? But if yeah, you're, but, had, it, but yeah, is it just yeah, a, the held, the, sorry. Oh, they held their positions, but. This is the thing, yeah. but this is how dumb it is that if you're playing your centre half forward dropping into midfield, well then you have to use them, or else this is a waste of time as a tactic. Yeah, I fully agreed. Why and the other disappointment? Why exactly? You have to use them, and then he can either, you know, take a shot if he's uncontent, if there's no one near him, or he can obviously play a decent ball inside. But the other one that was massively disappointed, and I wasn't surprised to see him gone at halftime, was Austin Gleeson. Like they started in midfield, uh, he went everywhere. Couldn't get in the ball, but he just he, his body language was really poor after yeah. about 15, 20 minutes. And eventually they put him in on the edge of the square because they actually had no other option because he, he, he wasn't offering anything. And obviously the, the, the Morris tactic wasn't working either. But he just gave up two or three times. And I actually remarked about it on the radio. Um, you know, it just, he, he just his body language was really bad. And I wasn't surprised to see him taking off at halftime. Right. Okay. Well, see, like I mean, that's the that's the kind of thing that were they were showing on the on the Sunday game. Well, that was Morris Shanahan taking off at halftime. Gleeson was taking off at halftime as well. As well, yeah. Both of them were taking off, yeah. Because right, Brick Walsh came on and Shane Bennett came on. Right. Okay. Jesus, that's un- that's that's unbelievable. I thought Tyg de Burke is Tyg de Burke is having a nightmare too. Like he could have gone at halftime as well. I thought because he's going for big long pot shots, um, poking them wide. He can't seem to play when he when he used to be a sweeper. He'd have no defensive responsibilities, only sweeping. Now he can't seem to figure out how to how to play the centre back role where you're either sweeping or you're following your man or what you're doing. He's he's at sixes and sevens. He doesn't even use the ball as well as he used to. Like he's another one that's that's um, really really gone off form. 
Yeah, and as I said um, as well yesterday, I think they're caught between two styles because they seem to be a team that's really confused. Um, obviously, with Derek McGrath did a number of different setups, but it was primarily around the sweeper. Um, whereas the Park Fanning, they've tried to go a little bit more orthodox. Then they kind of abandoned it yesterday. They wanted to go back to Derek McGrath's system. So they're really not sure what they're at at the moment. And I, I, like they clearly overthought um, the league final as well. They tried to you know learn from that, we'll say, and, and try and not let Limerick expose them inside. But if ever there was a, an occasion where they had to man up, front up in the physical challenges, make Walsh Park into this cauldron that they were looking for yeah. um, all year and last year. And as I said, you know, bring that physicality, that desire, that hunger, exactly what Tip did, exactly what Limerick did, and, and, and try and win that aspect of the game. Because, you know, all the other things, all the all the tactics in the world, and, we, and we've heard this actually quite a lot in soccer, they're, they're not worth a damn if you don't actually burst your gut and... and you know, get out there and work hard because that has to be the first and foremost. That has to be the that has to be the pillar of which everything else is built on. Yeah, I thought the analysis from the league final was that they should have abandoned the sweeper because Tyke de Burko was just bypassed in Croke Park that day. He was just like I w- I remember saying on the Monday after that match, a sweeper against Limerick with the brilliant ball that they give in is actually a waste of time. That you're as well up manning up all over the field and get in their faces and not allow that kind of tasty ball come up through the lines do you know what I mean so I don't yeah. think they learned anything from that final at all No I agree, I agree with you I think like well that was quite obvious yesterday I think but as well what, I, what I'm trying to say there is I think there were while you have to worry a little bit about the opposition I think they were too focused on what they were trying to do to counteract Limerick instead to me they should have went and had a go you know and I think that by their set up that clearly was, a, was all about containing Limerick as opposed to actually going for it yeah, no, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's <coughs> definitely the way. Um, Dublin hammered Carlo with 14 men. So it's a very disappointing result for Carlo because they're all on record for saying that's the one they targeted. Colin Bonner was saying it um, last week and um, Marty Kavanagh was saying Dublin at home is the game you'd look at to get a result. So they were well beaten. Um, and that's even with Dublin with 40 men. Shane Barrett got a red card. I had to laugh at Maddie Kenny was talking after the game. He says, my understanding of the rule is that a straight red card is for striking with intent. I think the guy broke through Shane. I think the guy broke through and Shane's reaction was to put up his hand and his hurl. There was no striking action. Was his arm and, and hurl high? Yes, it was. But there was no striking action. Well, like, I mean, I suppose he's maybe quoting the wrong rule. Like, I mean, there's obviously a rule, a red card for dangerous play, which which maybe that was given for. That's uh, collisions or strikes that impact the head of an opponent. And we all know this year, Brian, you're in very dangerous trouble if you're going in any way um, head high. So striking with, with intent is completely irrelevant in this one, is it? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right in that one. And look, we the man sent off in Tullamore, Conor Matten, for, for that, exactly that. He ran in um, a guy rising the sliller and he ended up catching him high and he got a straight red um, but I suppose it's the inconsistency I think the big games on telly I think Claire and Tip we saw some massive hits went in and it's kind of look play on or it's a yellow card at worst you know and I think the bigger the game and the more intensity the less you're going to see these sendings off um, whereas in some of these we'll say lesser games or where there's not a bigger crowd or there's no TV 
um, live coverage of of the game, I think these these sending offs are, are happening more frequently. I think that's an issue. Right. Okay. Because Mar- well, Morris Shanahan won. Like, I mean, that was a straight red, and the ref, like, like on you, what you said, you think referees in televised games aren't being as harsh because Morris. Like, all right, there wasn't much in it. It's not like he hurt, um, who was it? It was uh, Casey, I think it was. Casey, It's yeah. not like he hurt him too much. But, like, I mean, it was still a strike. So, technically, it's a red card. And the ref just used his discretion. He saw it and just thought it was a yellow. Yeah, well, in fairness, I think that's where Fergal Horgan is quite good. Because he has played the game himself. And he knows the difference between like a lad lettering, lettering someone and just lashing out. Like there's there, there's a clear distinction. We've had this discussion before. To yeah. me, like, do you know, so that's why I would say, yeah, it's a yellow. You know, you know when a lad stands back and lets fly and he has to go. That's that's completely different or if it's a, you know, a really dirty low blow or something like that. You know, that they're straight reds. But, you know, to me, it's intent. I think that's, it's not written in the rule book, but that's the bit of common sense approach that, you know, certain referees are able to apply. Yeah, okay, right, listen, we'll leave it there, Brian, and we'll come back and we'll talk about Tipperary Clare. I, I remember my mother, Lady Mercenary, she's dead, she's eight years this year. She never saw me holding live, but she always went to the matches, to the hotel, the two finals, and we got off the bus after the first one, and the first person to meet me was my mother, and she said, look... What's meant to be is meant to be. She said, keep the head up. I said, grand. No problem, man. Thanks. 96, back to the hotel again. First person <laughs> off the bus, my mother. She says, ah, look, what's meant to be? I said, man, will you give it a fucking ride? <laughs> <laughs> We have to talk about Hip Tipperary here, Brian. Geez, they were brilliant. Like, I mean, Claire made a game of this for about 15 minutes, and then it was all. I think when Noel McGrath got the goal, like, it was surprising that Claire turned around and lay down because for me, in the first 15 minutes, they looked like they were mad up for this, and this was going to be a great battle. And weren't expecting it to turn out the way it did at all. The Noel McGrath goal, like I said, obviously. Um, Tipperary knocked over a couple of f- fairly handy scores from pu- from clear pokeouts and from their own pokeouts, and then all of a sudden there was a gap. But even at half time, you're thinking, just this game isn't Tipperary's yet at all. And then t- Clare just rolled over and died. Yeah, and I think that shamey goal we were talking about earlier. I think that was a, a key turning point in the game because it it just it meant nearly put it out of reach of Clare. But they weren't getting enough from their, their main players. You know, Tony Kelly was well marshaled by Brendan Maher. I thought he did an exceptional job. And like, for Brendan Maher's perspective, to be out with a cruciate injury, only play one club game leading into the Munster Championship and to be able to put in performance like that against arguably one of the best hurlers in the country, it's just, it's a testament to the guy and it's a testament probably to the strength and conditioning that's involved in Tipperary setup at the moment because the, all clearly seem to be flying it. But, Ultimately, I suppose it's it's hope for everyone else that's out there. You know, even he's pushing on the years now that 
you can do this no matter what age you are if you're honest with yourself and you know you, you just burst the gut in, in, in the off season and fair play to him I was delighted for him in particular do you um, think, What do you think of Tony Kelly just to, just to pick you up on that like I mean Tony Kelly's only tactics for losing his man seems to go deeper and deeper and deeper and then hope that maybe alright well he won't follow me to here and then Brennan Maher just followed him everywhere and it's there come a point where Tony Kelly has to go here hang on a second I'm being man marked I'm just going to hold the 40 and actually win a hard ball instead of constantly dropping so he's got this free roll sometimes you won't get the free roll that you want and you have to win win bloody tough ball on the 40 Exactly and we often had this conversation about Austin Gleeson as well yeah. that when they are well marshalled you're, you're completely irrelevant in the game then because you know, you for all the will in the world, he he probably covered massive ground yesterday. But you know, if the game's not going for you, you have to get into the thick of it, as you said, and get yeah. in and win dirty ball and drive out with. It. And look, you're not going to have the same influence on the game in terms of you mightn't score four or five points and play, but you can influence the game in another way. But running up and down the field and and looking for options that are probably not there isn't going to solve it either. So you know, you have to have that, I suppose. Um, hurling intelligence that you have to change your style after a while that's clearly not working and sometimes hard work is the only way out of it yeah it is the only way out of it and I thought Tony Kelly like listen we all love Tony Kelly because he's an outstanding player but the, the point he scored in the second half there was a goal on there like if if that's TJ Reid TJ Reid isn't tapping that over and I thought Golden had in the first half had a man over at one stage and he was happy to take the point I would be more forgiving of him because he wouldn't have the class of Tony Kelly and they were against the win so points were big scores for them but Jesus Tony Kelly should a, should a very top level player in your home ground with the win six points down should you not be trying to go for the juggler there that to me and I agree with you on this one that to me st- like showed that Tony was a little bit brittle in his own confidence and that he, he felt he needed to get his own score to get himself into the game Right. Um, and I thought you're right there was a man inside or even he could have the speed that he came onto that ball that he could have got around the initial challenge even Um yeah, definitely goal on big that, goal chance. Because that on goal, there. that goal, TJ Reid scored against Dublin. Like yeah. there was less of a goal on there for TJ Reid than there was for Tony yeah. Kelly. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, TJ's initial pass he gave, and he just he, he's you know he just put the head down, and he stayed running, and got the return pass, and it was it was a fantastic goal. But you're right, there was definitely a goal chance on there. But as I said, I think that was Tony trying to play himself into the game and getting a point. Yeah, maybe you're right. And what about Claire then playing a sweeper in the second half with the wind again? Sometimes you scratch your heads at these decisions. There was forty kilometer forty kilometers per hour winds, like. I don't care what anybody says. You're not... Like, okay, John Conlon had a nightmare. As poor a game as I've ever seen him play. And Shane O'Donnell wasn't in it, wasn't in it too much. He tried a little bit. Podge Collins started brilliantly and then just completely went out of it. So they were misfiring up front. But you're not going to get back in a game by, by giving up Paddy Mars a sweeper again. Like, are, when I talk about this, and to me just saying it just sounds so silly. And you've top-level inter-county managers choosing to do this. Can you make sense of this at all? No, because maybe I'm old school and I'm like you as well. Like, like I can't understand that. I, I, to me, it has to be the physical battle has to be won first and foremost. Like, you, you can't. You, I know you can say you can try and play your way around Podimar, but if you really want to go on and win something, to me, you've got to man up with them and put someone in there that's going to be able to physically, you know, maybe not dominate them, but at least break even with them. And if you can do that, it, it shows across the board that you're willing to do, go to hard yards. Like that's what essentially Kilkenny did for years. That's what Tipperary are doing at the moment. That's what Limerick are doing. 
they're winning the physical battle first yeah. and foremost. And like that's what Hurley comes back to at the end of the day. Like all these systems are are great and, and there's great thought put behind them. But like you talk to, to like John Kiley last or you listen to why he spoke, it was always about the physical battle and trying to dominate their their style of play on other players through hard work and physicality. Like this isn't rocket science. Like obviously they're they're hugely tactical as well. Don't get me wrong. But it has to come back to a physical battle. That's what Hurland's essentially about. Yeah. And like, I mean, you're taken away from the physical battle by ta- playing a sweeper because you're actually giving a spare man so that they can go bet- through the lines with a man over. And you're offering it onto yourself. I don't get it. And it, like, I can get it. I could get it if the Clare management did did the opposite when they're, ag- uh, when they're playing against the Gale Force win to maybe put a man back. And then with the wind, do and they did it the opposite way around. I just, it, it's just you're scratching your head, going, that makes no sense. Do they have any understanding about what they're trying to do, or maybe I'm missing something? I don't know. Anthony Daly was talking in the Examiner today, and it, it's, it comes as no surprise what he says. He says, "To be honest, I'm sick of listening to managers and pundits um, talk about systems, and that includes the present clear management." Um, I understand all that stuff, but it drives me demented when teams are leaning on them too heavily. Now, I love talking about uh, tactics and systems and all that kind of thing as much as the next person. But maybe Anthony has a point. Now, when you see when you see a management playing a sweeper, when there's no logic to it, it makes you it makes you wonder: Are they overthinking it? Is right? Yeah, I actually read that this morning, and I actually liked it on Twitter. And um I, I just I was I was thinking the same thing, and I then I was beginning to wonder. Like I was thinking this yesterday, and whatever, and I was thinking maybe I'm just not in touch with the modern game or something like that. That <clears throat> I, I'm caught up in the the, the physical side of things, um, but but he's right. It becomes almost a crutch, and you know it, it's a way out for players and management. You know, sure, this is modern way of hurling. Of course, you need to retain possession. Of course, you need to, as you said into the wind, work the ball short, try and come with runners. We're not saying that that just shouldn't happen, but as you said, it just seemed to be a madness a tactic by Clare. And yeah. obviously the same from Watford. I just, I just, I just don't get it at all. Um, and, and look, maybe they'll learn from it. Uh, well, Waterford don't have a choice now. They're, they're out of the championship, but you know, maybe Clare will learn from this because they'll certainly have to um, if they want to go on. They'll certainly have to. And then you, you put Clare's performance against Waterford, who are shambolic, into context. And they only scraped out of Walsh Park. Um, and we know how poor Waterford are and how it looks like they're barely even trying. And then Clare come out at home against Tipperary and they play like that. Like Peter Duggan as well. Is there anyone on the Clare team could even, maybe one or two of their, of their defenders um, were all right but like leaderless uh, like Jackie Terrell really went to town on them after the game he says after the goal in the second half it was game over Clare never raised the gallop they never put any fight up no leaders stepped up it was just a really bad day for Clare and there were no leaders there were absolutely no leaders and when you look through the team like I mean who are you looking for they were just well beaten all over the team and it looked like men against boys and even especially in midfield like Colm Galvin up against like the likes of uh, Michael Breen and Noel McGrath two big physically important and players and I know that's not a fair comparison because Colin Galvin's one of the smaller players but you take my point they just it looked like men against boys yeah and look I think a lot of it comes back probably to John Conlon like last year he was absolutely flying it inside and he was scoring points from every angle two men on him at times and he was still throwing the ball over the shoulder and they were going over the bar and 
it, 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 I remember thinking at the time, like, what will happen when these don't go over the bar? Because some of them were just so audacious scores, and Peter Duggan even chipped in with some unbelievable scores, even the, the, the score of the year last year against Galway off the hurl. Um, you know, so they were scoring wonder points, and we see now when they're drying up, um, which they clearly did yesterday, and similarly in, in Walsh Park, that they don't really have a, a plan B. And and that that's a major issue. That I I think the form of John Conlon, they need him back buzzing. Um, I think that's what probably pushed them on a good bit last year was the fact that they were able to go so route one on him and mix up their styles. He looks so um, out of sorts though, doesn't he? Like I mean, yeah, really totally. out of sorts. Yeah, totally. And you know, he's he's very much, you know, he's becoming a little bit predictable the way he's hurling at the moment as well. So he's obviously look, he's he's struggling with injury, probably probably not a full fitness. So that can really affect you as a forward. And as I said, we, we said about Seamus Canlon last year as well. Um, and, and look, you've played in the forwards, I've played in the forwards and it really does. I suppose people don't really know what's going on in, in behind the scenes either. Yeah, it's hard to know. So like, I mean, Tipperary are in such a great um, place. I want to leave some of their brilliant performances for performance of the weekend. But I think the the move, while Liam Sheedy would probably be of that old school and it's very obvious what he's brought to them. And like, I mean, when Tipperary work hard, the hurling is always going to take care of itself because they've got some brilliant players, even though Bubbles wasn't at his best. They've so many match winners around the field that this work ethic and this bloody ravenous um, chasing down of players and hunting them down everywhere around the field, like it's 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 suffocating, completely suffocating. And it's not, you don't usually associate that with Tipperary, but that's what Sheedy brings. Now, I think putting Noel McGrath midfield was a master stroke because obviously teams can't drop off now or use their midfielders defensively because he, like he can destroy you from midfield if you give him ha- half a yard. So tactically, that was a great move um, and that was Sheedy doing that. Yeah, and getting Michael Breen back to midfield was also a big call. In good form. He's dan- he yeah. scored six the last day. Like, I mean, both of them can hurt you. You can't drop off those two players. No, and he's an absolute racehorse, the size of him. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they didn't have a good midfield partnership, you know, hurling with real form, real pace like the Breen brings since probably uh, Shane McGrath and, and, and James Woodlock. So, you know... They've settled midfield now and, and, and they offer obviously different things there. McGrath can pick him off with points, can pick him off with passes. You know, Breen can drive straight through the centre, but he's obviously grown up, he's been a more defensive player as well, and he's very he's very strong, obviously. I think I think that's been a massive move from their perspective. They've got obviously Bonner Maher, who a lot of people would have felt shouldn't be really on that tip team anymore, that he was almost gone past it. He is back flying it and he's not just working hard he's actually chipping in with a couple of scores and he got a, a great goal yesterday actually speaking of that goal the goal he came out and he nearly kung fu to kick yeah. the, the head off him yeah. I thought that was amazing I had to watch it a number of times to see he actually just missed him but uh, if he'd have caught him he'd have, he'd have cut his head clean off at all but that was brave to even be keeping Bonner wasn't entertaining the goalie he just had eyes for the ball like I mean maybe he would have caught him coming out out of the corner of his eye I think Bonner Maher sets the tone for tip it was his point in the first half from a from a puck out and he ran through he right, just yeah. he's a, like a spiritual leader a little bit like if Bonner's on it Tipperary are on it is that fair? I th- uh, 100% and I think the players respond to him and they love his honesty and his um, his work rate and you can see the likes of Canlon and John McGrath and Noel McGrath when, you know they'll be geeing him up when they see him do you know something really difficult and, and that putting in the hard yards and I think they, they feed off that when Bonner Maher's doing it you know you often hear um the Kilkenny players used to speak about Taggy Fogarty like that. They're, they're kind of that one player that 
you know, mightn't be always in the limelight in terms of the scoring or that, but his honesty and work rate was phenomenal. And I think that, that Bonner Maher is that player for Tipperary. Right, OK, that's interesting. So Owen Kelly was talking to Paddy Power last week and he, I think he's in doing a little bit of work with the freeze um, with Tipperary. Um, we know to, uh, Tommy Dunn is in as the runner. You were the runner for Offaly yesterday. I must ask you about that um, as well. So Owen Kelly was saying to Paddy Power last week, you can see the application to a high work ethic in the last two games. And that's the first ingredient you look for. Like, it's not rocket science, Liam Sheedy's prerequisite for a player, is it? Like, I mean, and if you're not going to sign up to what he wants, well, then you're, you're, no, good, you're no good to him. Like, I mean, that's Owen Kelly being on the inside, knowing exactly. And I don't want, I don't want to... It, I don't want to kind of, you know, not give Tipperary the, ta- the credit tactically that they deserve by just bringing all this back to work ethic. But it, it is a huge part of it. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. That, that has to be first. But I think in fairness to, to Sheedy, what he's done is he's like, probably, I don't know if he, what analogy he uses, but it's definitely a no ego rule, no dickheads rule like the New Zealand used to have. Yeah. And he's put them back in their box. Um anyone that maybe had, had popped their head a little bit, it's back in there and they're working their arses off. And you see that. Like, But he's got players back in their best position as well. Like, Carl Barrett's gone back to corner, back to shore up the full-back line. James Barry back to full-back, hurling with a bit of confidence. You know, the Mars all on the half-back line, settled midfield. You know, Shamey back at full forward. Like, because the team was kind of ripped apart a little bit in the last couple of years. And, you know, they, they were all over the place. And, you know, so, and there was a little bit of selfishness coming into the play. So he's, he set that out. He set the stall out early, picking, obviously, their, their best team in their best positions. And, as I said, massive work rate. But isn't it amazing, like, for all the modernization of the game or any game, any sport, like, it does come back to hunger and desire. Like, it's, it's amazing. And you can't buy that. And you can only try and, you know, motivate players to that. But a lot of that has to be intrinsic, too. Yeah, no, it definitely does. There's no doubt. So, like, I mean, we don't know where Clare and Waterford are at at this stage. And it's actually been a very disappointing Munster Championship, really. When you look at yesterday, you look at all the hammering, the hammerings Waterford have had in every game. You're just looking really at Cork Limerick for any a, a good game. And that was kind of dominated by Cork towards the end as well. So the Munster Championship hasn't kicked off at all. Um, don't blame RT for going heavy on them on the evidence of last year, but on the evidence of this year, the Leinster Championship has has been a match for it. Yeah, it has. Um, but look, I think that's I think that's hurling, isn't it? In general, like we had a couple of mediocre seasons as well, but we finished really strongly. We did a couple of brilliant honours and we finals and final that you know topped off the year at the end. I think that's that's that championship. You know, football had a couple of poor years and finished strongly as well. And at the moment, we're seeing a lot of very um, even matches in football too that have been quite exciting um, quality might be always there but you know that's that's sport as far as I'm concerned look the Leinster Championship still up all to play for there's four teams going for three positions I think look no disrespect to Cairo I think they've they've put up some really good performances no more than Offaly did last year but I think that's the setup of the Leinster Championship it's set up for four teams I, I think you know whoever goes up this year from the Joe McDonough Cup will come straight back down again next year. You know, um, I, I just can't see see them bridging that gap. Um, you know, and yet you've often heard better talking about this, you know, is it is the whole idea this just to, to have teams playing at their own level or is it actually a, a progressive thing where they're trying to improve them? I think it's just to ensure that they're at their same level. But look, if it is, it is. Um, it mightn't be what everyone wants, um, essentially, but it, it, they are good competitions. But look, as I said about the Leinster, that, that extra team that's in there, 
they're they're essentially cannon fodder for the for that for those teams. Whereas in Munster, I know um, invariably Waterford ended up being this team, um, but they yeah. they they don't have the fear of being relegated. No, and you brought that brought that up before. And like I mean, if 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 it was done fairly, and Waterford now would be playing Carlo in a relegation match, and I wouldn't be putting too much money on Waterford to be Carlo in that. So like I mean, it really does highlight how unfair that that. Um, you know that that structure is, yeah, and even like because Kerry can still do this. Kerry could still turn around and win this Storm McDonough Cup, and they're not guaranteed to go into Munster. They you go, in, they go into Leinster. No, they actually play off against Watford. In oh, a, in a that's it. Yeah, relegation that uh, decider a... essentially. Yeah, so yeah. like that's not fair either. No, you know, like in fairness to, to like if Kerry are able to do this, which they're more than capable of doing it, obviously. You know, and, and all the hard work they're going, it's like no, sorry lads, you're not one of the top five. Good luck. Yeah, no, it's just completely wrong. Right, we'll come back with Paddy Power Performance of the Weekend. Yeah, we, I, we do, yeah. We have a farm back home, so we have, we have a big farm back home. and We have, we have uh, cattle and sheep, and we have a few donkeys as well. So um, we had a couple of Philly donkeys. Uh, so I brought them down, and so we did actually sold them to uh, I think we had four donkeys. On the day, and we told them to a man from Wexford, so we did. So there's there's the five ball donkey, so there, and there's the, the <laughs> traditional donkey, and there's the, the Spanish donkey, and then there's the, the Spanish donkey. Yeah, you see you see them on the on the beaches, and so um, yeah, you can actually one time one time the the donkey was useless, right? but now some people have started to get back into them because you can use them for headage, and uh, it's used towards your would say your bonuses, your clients. A donkey, a donkey in Eden, and a donkey in Eden Palace. Okay, Paddy Power Performance of the Weekend, Brian. First nomination is John McGrath. And, like, I mean, what an absolute score six points from play in a, in a championship game. It's just it's phenomenal shooting. It's not the first time we've seen him doing this. He's done it last year in the Munster League, even when Tipperary weren't going well. I think he got five from play against Cork, and he, he did it in another couple of games as well. Phenomenal. And getting a lot of his points out in the half-forward line. So, again, while Liam Sheedy's not noted for his tactics... The the movement of their forwards is excellent. The rotation of the forwards is excellent. John McGrath getting a lot of scores from the half-forward line is excellent, leaving uh, Shamey inside, probably Jason forward, forward inside as well. These are tactics. And, like, I mean, you know, so, again, we'll give Liam Sheedy a lot of credit for his kind of ethic to go to war and his work rate and all that. But, like, I mean, Tipperary are definitely a well-oiled machine as well. Definitely, and look, Tommy Dunn's a huge tinker of the game. Yeah, um, you know, Darry Egan, something similar that's involved there, and obviously um, they're supposed to have Emma Shea back involved as well. So there's a lot of thought being put put into what they're doing. But John McGrath, he's exceptional. Like he doesn't look like he's fast, but he's he's lightning. He's he's pointing the first half where he was out around left half forward, and he he kind of looked like he was going to play it back to one of the either midfielders or wing backs, and he just shimmied and, and turned and went straight to goal. And Dermot Ryan, he just left him for, for dead. And Dermot Ryan's a flyer. But he just got in over five yards, lost him, and just popped it over the bar nonchalantly from about, you know, 55, 60 yards. And it just shows um, he has everything in the game. You know, he's he's a brilliant hand on him. He's obviously two-sided. He's an eye for goal. He can pick points as well as everything else. 
but he just as I said he just he's floating around the place he doesn't even look like he's going fast but he, he clearly is no and they have fierce brains don't they to, to yeah. McGrath I yeah. think I think I think John finds himself in loads of space because of his brain you know it's obviously yeah, we know he's not yeah. fast yeah. and how is it that, that ability to just be pop, popping up um, in space all the time like I mean it's just like I, I, I don't know how to explain how to explain it but it, I think it's it's his it's his hurling brain that's that's finding all those pockets yeah, and he, yeah, he's brilliant. Look, and he also sees things that other players don't see because he's he is a brilliant telepathic um, wavelength with Jason Ford in particular because they played a lot together in UL. And oh yeah, the amount of goals you've seen them work, you know, close in around around the goal, you know, other players would have taken their points. Um, so I, I just think he, you're you're dead right. You hit the nail on the head there. He's a brilliant hurling brain. Obviously, we we all know Noel does, but. Like I think John's just class, and I think he's—we can't say he's underrated, um, but you know he's not up there probably in the stardom kind of thing like Jamie Callan is. But John yeah. McGrath for me is is top class. It's funny, isn't it? He's not even in the stardom of Bubbles. When Bubbles has a good game, no, there's more yeah, made yeah. out. What what is it about John McGrath that he he's been doing what Bubbles did in the last two games now for a few years, and he's not in that kind of talked about in that way, is he? No, yeah, it's mad that way, isn't it? Because. I don't know, is it just there's a bit of razzmatazz about bubbles or, or whatever, but John McGrath just goes about his business like just good and quietly. And yeah, maybe, he need, maybe, John, maybe John needs a funny nickname or something. Yeah, he needs a few <laughs> fist pumps or something. Or <laughs> yeah, a few fist pumps and a dodgy nickname and we'll start talking about him like he's, like he's a hero. What did you make of Barry Heffernan? Because obviously he came in as a late replacement for James Barry who had a stomach bug. Played full back on John Conlon. Everybody thought in the lead up to the game that Barry Heffernan is a wing back. They'll play him out wing back and maybe Paddy Marrow play full back. No, that wasn't the way. He had to he had to mark John Conlon, kept John Conlon scoreless. Now Conlon should have probably had three from play were bad wides, but like I mean, an excellent performance at half from Barry Heffernan. Yeah, and another brilliant hurler. Um, you know, he's he's from Nina, and he's been on and off this kind of team, hasn't ever really settled with a, a full position there. But you know, he he's a brilliant hurler. Um, but like, I I like that from Sheedy, and that's what Cody did when he's in his pomp too. And we've seen him do that with Porrick Walsh, and, and and their attitude is: look, if you're good enough to play into county hurling as a defender, you probably should be able to play in any of the six positions, essentially. Like, and and that's what he's done. He's, he's he put the gauntlet down to him, back in there do the business and, and you know that's that's essentially what he did and it comes back to the confidence that you've been given from your manager and the confidence the hard work has done on, on the training field so look it's a, it, again it's a tip of the cap to the to to the strength of the hurler himself, but also to the management and the way that they're preparing these players. Yeah, Noel McGrath as well. Obviously, one two from midfield. He's a real Rolls Royce player. That's how I would d- describe him. So long range points, really brave for the goal as well. Like I mean, he really wanted that, and he knew he was going to take contact um, and scored it anyways. And like I said, having having Breen and him in midfield um, means that these lads have to be pushed up on and marked at all times. And if you don't, you're going to suffer. Yeah, look. We all know about Noel McGrath. They say it's hard. It's hard to believe how long he's been involved in, in the county setup. Yeah, he's um, only twenty eight. It's gas. Yeah, he's only twenty eight. When I heard that statistic yesterday, I was <laughs> like, "Whoa!" You know, like you know, there's another good few years still left in him. But look, obviously, he broke on at eighteen or nineteen, and he's um, you know, he's deadly. But yeah, actually, to pick you up on that that brave thing, um, you know, obviously, look, I but I wouldn't expect anything else of an inter county hurler. That's the truth. You know, he dived. He was going to take hardship, but. 
I, I actually wouldn't expect anything else. And um, I'd be disappointed if he didn't do that, yeah. uh, being honest. Uh, in club hurling now, you might get your head taken off you. That might be a little bit different. But <laughs> still, look, if you want to win big games, I think you have to do these things. You have to throw your body in line and, and, and hope beyond hope that you get your, your flick on the, on the ball. And you're, you're more than happy to take a belt in those situations. Yeah, uh, Bonner Maher, obviously, we've talked about him. He was outstanding um, as well. Neil McMahon has got 10, um, three from play, seven frees against yourselves. Um, how did he show up, Brian? Yeah, look, I think uh, he, Michael Dignan was waxing lyricals about me yesterday in the Sunday game, and rightly so. He's he's a born leader, Neil. I know him very well. He's a real honest guy. He lives for hurling. Um, but as I said, he's he's a man. That's that's the most important thing with Neil. He he never shirks the responsibility of hurling for for Cushendall or for or for Antrim, and he really led the line for Antrim. Um, you know, we obviously targeted him and trying to trying to um, counteract his style of play. We put a man on him. Now, he did pick a couple of points off Neil in the first half, but, you know, I suppose in the second half, Neil, um, he, he, you know, he just drove Antrim on when they needed him, particularly when we got that goal and went in front. Um, you know, Neil really came to the fore with a couple of big runs down to the centre and one hard ball. So, look, he's he's a fantastic hurler and, um, you know, full credit to him. Where was he playing? Wing wing forward or was he in midfield? He started a wing forward, but when their man was sent off, he went to midfield. So, um, you know, he dictated play in particular when he was in midfield. Yeah, he's going around with a big knee bandage on him, is he? He's, he's, he, he yeah, he had it off leash. now. He had it off yesterday, yeah. So, he, was, he obviously cleared up a good bit, but he's not, a, he's not afraid to get into the sea and do his recovery either. So, um, and he, as I said, he puts in the hard yards off, off the the training field as well as everything else and he's your, he's your ultimate um, hurler in terms of what you'd look for yeah he was going around with like uh, Colin O'Rourke against us so he was it's not often you, <laughs> yeah. it's not often you see yeah, players yeah he was with, yeah you yeah. don't, you don't usually see that leg that day go on you don't usually see players with those knee, big knee bandages anymore do you I wonder when, when they went out of fashion or what, what happened to them or maybe <laughs> there's a, a medical reason but they've, they're completely gone aren't they they're completely gone and actually speaking of bandages um, John Conlon has a right one on his arm too yeah. he clearly has a, a massive problem there because there's a big piece of padding or, or some sort of protection underneath that um, yeah but he had that, that all uh, last year too yeah yeah it's weird so when's that going to like clear up it has, yeah, yeah when's it going to clear up I suppose is the big thing yeah. yeah it doesn't make any sense like I mean I'm, although maybe it's a psychological crutch to him now because like all last year he had that. You would think that's cleared up this year now, and he can work. He can work away without it. But anyway, Connor Prunty for Waterford. He's the only one that played well. And if there's any positive to come out of the year for Waterford, is that they found themselves a number three. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I'm. Um, I'm not surprised to see his name on this list. I thought he was excellent. He he drove out with a huge amount of ball. Had a couple of really big hits as well, and uh, very intelligent on the ball as well. He didn't just yeah get it and lump it up the field at times he, he tried to work the ball out intelligently so um, yeah it was delighted for for him and his performance yesterday because it's not a, it's not been an easy position to fill from a Waterford perspective um, you know obviously they had Barry Cochran there for the last number of years he was brilliant at, at just marking his man um, never hitting the ball but just marking his man and that allowed Ty DeBorka to sweep but uh, obviously a lot more responsibility on Connor now to try and actually do a bit of hurling from fullback as well. And yeah, um, very good performance. Yeah, because I was looking, he played uh, left half back under the 21 team. So this is a Barry Heffernan going wing back, fullback. This is the JJ Delaney effect then years later. And uh, they're all trying to find themselves a wing back that can become a brilliant fullback. Yeah, that's, that's it. And the fairness of the water from backline, because Callum Lyons had a good game as well. He drove out with a lot of ball. Um, the Limerick full forward line didn't snipe a huge amount Peter Casey got a couple of points Gillan got a goal from play um, 
but that was led in the play from now. He, his finish was excellent. And Graham McCartney didn't score from play. So in fairness to the, the full back line for Waterford, they were probably their best line on the, on the day. Right, OK, even though they're under a lot of pressure. Eamon Dillon got 2-2 for Dublin. Conal Keeney got four points from play before he was taken off, um, probably giving him about 50-55 minutes. Um, the two of them together, both in the full forward line. They need Keeney in there. Like, I mean... I thought maybe centre half forward would be the position they're playing him number thirteen. I presume he'd roam out around there. Is that the role for Conal, or would you, do you leave, do you leave him in there, Brian? I'd say they're trying to isolate him under high ball because he's he's obviously brilliant in the air. Yeah. And um, look again, testament to the guy. You know, he's he's a year older than me, and he's still going. And he, he took a couple of years out and went back at it. And just shows that the hunger and drive he has for for the hurling. Um, and he, he needs watching at all times. He's a machine, um, isn't he, for that yeah. age? He's just... Yeah, he's a big physical guy. Now, yeah. look, you can see that he probably struggled to play 70 minutes. They took him off against uh, Wexford. He was probably um, starting to wane a little bit, but still, when he went off, um, Wexford completely took control because, you know, Dublin didn't have their outlet for puckouts anymore. So um, he still offered a huge amount of left Dublin perspective. But at the same time, while it's great for this year, like this, they can't continue either. So they're going to have to look for a little bit more from from their forward line at the same time. Yeah, I remember against Kilkenny and Parnell Park last year, they had them beaten until he went off as well, and it was almost a catalyst for Kilkenny to come back at them. Like that's how important he is to them, which is mad at his at his age and the fact that, like you said, he pretty much re- almost retired and then came back under Pat Gilroy and then continued on. What do you make of Eamon Dillon? He he's a player that he kind of is eye-catching in the league often and then doesn't really do it in the championship. Like, obviously scored 2-2 against uh, against Carlos. So he he obviously, like, is a dangerous forward, but I think maybe is a finding his best position or what? what is the story with him? It's probably getting more consistency in this game because, as you said, he can blow the lights out and score brilliant scores. Like, he, he his pace is unbelievable and um, he can score fantastic goals, but... He's just not consistent enough, I think. You know, and, and he's not enough of a go-to man from Dublin's perspective. Um, you know, because if he was just chipping in, uh, just more consistently, but like you know, your you know, three points, four points, or one three a game, I think Dublin would be in a lot better place um, consistently. But um, you know, he he has it all in terms of strength and, and speed, and obviously has an eye for goal as well. But uh, I, I keep saying it, it, it. For me, it's his consistency is an issue. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the winner is uh, performance of the weekend. We'll have to go to with uh, one of the McGrath brothers, and it's probably a toss up between between the two of them. We'll go with John McGrath. I go with John. Yeah. I yeah, agree with that. Yeah. Six points from play. Outstanding. And um, we'll take your suggestions for a nickname for John, so we can raise his profile a little <laughs> bit up, so we can get him a bit more recognition. Not that I'd say he gives a shit about recognition once Tipperary are winning and he's flying it. But anyways, John McGrath. You, you know you're a main man when either you have a nickname or you're being called by your first name. Uh, he's just not got to the stage of being called John just yet. I don't know. That name's just not catchy enough, is it? No, you can't just be called John. No, you're absolutely no. God. You're God, especially when yeah, especially when and you can't even be called McGrath because there's another McGrath. So he's gone. Yeah. Listen, John has got John's in big trouble to raise this profile. We might need to get a PR manager to to maybe talk about this. Anyways, he's brilliant. That's all he needs to worry about. So listen, that's always time for we back on Thursday with a preview show as usual. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. 
but it's harder to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of for today because, like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.